They asked me how I knew my true love was true. I, of course, replied, something here inside cannot be denied. They said someday you'll find all who blind when your heart's on fire you must realize smoke gets in your eyes welcome to who watches the watchman a weekly discussion podcast on the hbo series watchman my name is derek wong and my name is jeff zhang today we're diving deep into what i think is not only the best episode of Watchmen so far, but probably one of the best hours of television of 2019, period. I don't know if you shared opinion of this episode, but I really enjoyed this. It was really, really great, I thought. I thought it was a very unique experience. I haven't really uh-huh. seen anything like this, I don't think, ever in a television show. The kind of use of black and white, the use of color, the cutting in and out between I apologize, I don't know the actor who plays Will, but, you know, the person oh, uh, Angela. Young Will, yeah. I, I thought it was really, really creative and just a really unique experience for what we just saw. Young Will is actually played by an actor by the name of Jovan Adepo. Mm-hmm. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was uh, in The Leftovers. Um, I think that's one of his first roles. But he was also in, you ever see that World War II horror movie, Overlord? Oh, I haven't seen that. I wanted to, but I didn't get to see it. Yeah, he was in that. He was also in the Denzel Washington production of Fences, the the movie. Oh. He's been having quite a year, too, because he was just on uh, the Jack Ryan show on Amazon, too. So he's been busy. Yeah, that guy's been pretty busy, huh? Yeah. I imagine that we won't really see him again. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. I think most of the the meat of his appearance is probably going to be this episode. This week's episode is titled This Extraordinary Being, and once again, it was directed by Stephen Williams, who makes a welcome return after directing episode three, which was the introduction of Laurie Blake's character. Again, that episode was written by Damon Lindelof, and this time his co-writing partner is Cord Jefferson, who has worked in many writer rooms before, including The Good Place and Netflix's Master of None. Quite a pedigree on this team. Uh, behind this episode again. And I thought this episode was signature Damon Lindelof in that one of his favorite narrative types is like this time-bending, body-jumping character piece. Mm -hmm. So it really reminded me, like one of my favorite episodes of Lost was the season four episode, The Constant, Mm -hmm. which saw the character of Desmond Hume become like unstuck in time. I think a lot of fans of that series cite that episode as like one of the best of the entire show. I Um, would cite that as my favorite episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so like this was very reminiscent of that, right? You're like having this out-of-body experience in someone who's not quite yourself and like this kind of time-bending aspect. It's it's really reminiscent of that. I know you've never seen The Leftovers, but given how like a lot of people realize it's pretty much like a distant cousin of Watchmen in terms of like tone and style, they have the super trippy episode of it was titled International Assassin, which is kind of like a dream sequence type where 
again, it's kind of someone who's like out of body experience. But I think this episode, this extraordinary being might even edge out both of those episodes in terms of like substance and style, because it like weaves in this powerful through line about race and like American society. Yeah, yeah. So the last episode left off with Angela ingesting all of her grandfather's nostalgia pills. And like this entire episode is basically Angela reliving Will's life through his eyes in an extended flashback. You know what? Let's just talk about the big reveal of the episode and get it out of the way before we even start the recap, right? So the big reveal of this episode is that Will Reeves, as we come to know him, was the vigilante known as Hooded Justice this entire time. So what do you think of this reveal? Were you surprised at all? I was partially not surprised just because I've heard a lot of the rumors, a lot of people speculating that it was Will. Mm-hmm. I, probably the biggest clue that I noticed in the very first episode, his color scheme of his jacket was pretty much the exact same color scheme as the Hooded Justice we see in the uh, American Hero story. Oh, okay, interesting. I yeah. haven't even seen that connection. And so, like, that was kind of a, a hint. Um, I, th- I know me and Amir talked about this in our episode, and I, I uh-huh. mentioned that I didn't want this to be true, only because I just felt like, at the time when I was thinking about it, it was a little too easy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, alluded that the American Hero story was a lot like the Tales from the Black Freighter comic. And right. in the comic within a comic, it, it's about a character, but a character isn't, you know, Adrian Veidt, right? But it's about Adrian Veidt. Or mm-hmm. relates to Adrian Veidt, and I would have liked that connection more, like where we had to actually think about it, versus it's a literal connection to one of the characters in our story. Mm-hmm. You know that now he is Hooded Justice, but I think the things that they did with his origin story, I, I really enjoyed, and I love the idea that everyone thought he was white, but now we find out, you know, the big right. that he was. So, like at the same time, it's still keeping the fiction part of the story within a story, right? Because oh, yeah. it turns out like none of that stuff was true about Hooded Justice. I guess some um, of it is true. In I sense. mean, some of it is, yeah. but like the main part where it's his identity is completely off. Yeah. So like, I know we haven't had too much opportunity to talk about Hooded Justice that much on this podcast since his appearances have mostly been relegated to the American Hero story show within a show, right? Mm-hmm. Now with the reveal in this episode, I think we can see all of his appearances have a purpose, right? I think in the original Watchmen comics, and also by default on the show, he's always been assumed to be a white man, right? Mm-hmm. So the graphic novel, namely through Hollis Mason's book, guesses that he was some sort of German strongman, right? By the name of Ralph Mueller, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's interesting because before this show, I think it's easy to characterize this costume as like a gallows type executioner theme. But if you take it in context within Damon Lindelof's vision for this world, there's zero chance that like the noose imagery of the costume wouldn't have anything to do with like the racial themes of the show. So like, I can't really say that I'm surprised that Will Reeves turned out to be hooded justice. Right. And it was, it's interesting because in that very first scene, right, we see, and we'll get into it soon. You know, the, the agents are talking to the, American hero story hooded justice and he says like well I think it was an executioner my buddy here thinks right 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 it's a sex thing like they don't even think that it might be a race thing right you want to get into this episode I mean this one's a yeah big this turning one. point for the show so 
Um, so I actually wanted to start off because we've we've uh, we've gotten pretty interesting kind of like uh, logos for the watch for the watch. Yeah, for the, this one was really cool. I really liked it. Yeah, so um, I really enjoyed that kind of transition where you know fades away and then becomes Minutemen. And this is the yeah. first time we've gotten to start the episode with the American Hero story. Right. Right. Usually it's intercut somewhere in between, somewhere in the middle. I think it's really appropriate to kind of start and remind us about this American Hero story TV show that we're watching within the TV show and that it's about this character in Hooded Justice. Mm-hmm. So the, what we see in the scene is that Hooded Justice looks like been apprehended by two federal agents. <laughs> Some Easter eggs, uh, the agents kind of mentioned um, that he's caught Captain Access, King Mob, and Moloch. Uh, if you mm-hmm. don't remember from the original graphic novel and, of course, the movie, Moloch is actually one of the villains that is a target of uh, Adrian Veidt. And he's been given cancer to kind of make it look like Dr. Manhattan gave him cancer. And then uh, we we get into the scene that I was talking about where the, the cops are prodding at uh, Hood of Justice and asking him, like, well, you know, what's the whole uh, rope about, right? Or the noose around his neck, you know, um, the one officer says he thinks it's an executioner thing. And he has his partner, Jerry. <laughs> and I, I, he has two lines in this whole scene, right? I think it's and it's the same line where he says uh, yeah. he thinks it's sex stuff. Yeah. What the rope is all about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, Hood Justice basically is like, OK, what do you guys want? Well, the one main officer that's basically doing all the talking, he says, you know, he wants him to take his mask off so he could take a picture. And that he doesn't know who Hooded Justice is, but he knows what he does. And and then he says he knows who he does, implying that he has been having a homosexual relationship with Nelson Gardner's character, Captain Metropolis. And he mentions that they find a safe behind Captain Metropolis's paintings of a white horse, mm-hmm. which is very curious to kind of mention a, a white horse. Well, we've seen already imagery of horses and paintings and whatnot, right? Right. Um, and then he says in the safe, there's a film that they find that, <laughs> as Jerry says again, is about sex stuff. They're basically like, oh, it's not Director Hoover, right? Just don't get that in your head. It's not Director Hoover. But right. it's, it's a guy that kind of maybe looks like Director Hoover. And Captain Metropolis is basically trying to uh, blackmail Director Hoover and saying that, you know, he's having homosexual relation mm-hmm. and uh hooded justice kind of thinks for a while and then he is ready to kind of give up he actually takes his mask off and we see that the actor playing hooded justice is a white male you guys don't recognize him he's the actor cheyenne jackson i recognize him from 30 rock actually uh because oh, okay yeah it was like the first time i saw him on, on tv but I, I guess the real meta thing is that he's been in a couple seasons of american horror story Oh, interesting. Okay. So I never it's, actually it's, watched that show. So Yeah, I don't watch the show either, but I was kind of looking up his IMDb, but I thought it was super meta that, you know, this American hero story clearly is kind of in the same vein as American Horror Story. It's, it's funny that they have an actor that plays a, a character in both. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jerry does have another line. Jerry tells Hooded Justice to say cheese. And that's uh-huh. when I guess we get a little bit of a brawl inside uh, this interrogation room. And Hooded Justice pretty much easily takes out both of these uh, federal agents. And at the end of the battle, he does say cheese. And then we kind of see it melds into an officer inside the precinct watching this episode, right? Right. Yeah, so Um, it was was a pretty cool transition. And I I think it's really trying to hammer home that this idea that, you know, Dale Petey mentioned, right? That there's a lot of false information that's being portrayed in this Yeah, it takes a lot of liberties with the truth. Yeah. 
I think another thing that I noticed that really made it seem like Hooded Justice isn't white is that throughout this whole season, every time you would see Hooded Justice, they would close up on his face and made sure you knew that around his eyes was a white male. Like, did you notice that? Like his eye holes are really big and it's just like all this white skin and it's just like, okay. I feel like the show is saying, like, there's a white male under here. Right. Putting its hands up. There's a white male under here. And if you're, like, following the PDPedia articles and even what DLPD says on the show, he's like, oh, that show is garbage. Mm-hmm. So, like, they keep hammering home that the show is not to be trusted yep. with its truthfulness, right? So mm-hmm. it's been playing us all along, right? It's been hiding this this truth right beneath the surface the entire time we've been watching. So... It's really interesting, yeah. So the first in-world scene of the episode uh, where the, I guess all the police officers are watching American Hero Story, right? It begins at the precinct where Lori visits Angela in her cell, having just taken her into custody after a looking glass ratted her out. She asks Angela for the whereabouts of her grandfather, Will, and she gives her a little rundown of how the nostalgia drug works. Um, She says that they insert little chips into your brain to harvest your memories, and then they put them into pill form so that when you ingest it, you experience all the memories all over again. Mm -hmm. And last week, we also found out that the drug is outlawed. And here, Lori explains why, right? She says that it was supposed to be for the elderly, for people with dementia, but that narrow use for the drug really like limited the market, (laughs) which I thought was interesting kind of a, a jab at like how pharmaceutical companies are always like only caring about the buck, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, when nostalgia got released on like a wider platform, people got addicted, they formed dependencies and they even OD'd on it. And Lori then reminds Angela that Lady True is the one that makes the drug mm-hmm. and that perhaps she knows Angela's grandfather too since it was his pills that Angela swallowed. So Lori tries to get Angela to sign a release form so that she can get her stomach pumped, but it's too late. And Angela slips into this, what do you call it? It's like a fever dream of Will's memories, right? Basically the main conceit of this whole episode, right? Where the majority of the episode, we get to see within these memories that Will has, right? Yeah. So the episode does this really neat trick where Angela and the younger Will constantly switch places within a scene, right? The camera will pan around one of them, and then when it comes back full circle, it's the other character that's taken their place. It's a pretty cool little maneuver that they do a bunch of times in the episode. Oh, yeah, it's a really cool trick. Yeah, and the first scene is at Will's NYPD Police Academy graduation. So this is the first memory that Angela revisits, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe it takes place during 1938, which is 17 years after he escaped from Tulsa in the first episode of the series, right? Um, And he's the only African-American cadet in the class. And the white police captain comes down the line and congratulates each and every single white cadet. He says to each of them, congratulations, do us proud, and be safe out there. And there's a black woman in the audience who makes eye contact with Will, but we're not quite sure of their relationship yet. And when the captain reaches Will, he skips right over him. Instead, another black police lieutenant does the honors for him and pins the badge on Will's chest. Mm -hmm. Um, And Will identifies him as Lieutenant Battle and that he was the reason that he joined the force in the first place. 
And before Lieutenant Battle moves on, he whispers in Will's ear, beware the Cyclops. So in case you didn't know, Lieutenant Battle is a real person, Samuel J. Battle. He was the first black police officer in New York City. And he first joined the force in 1911 before becoming a lieutenant in 1935. So it's a pretty neat little real world reference here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Show, man. It's always bringing history lessons. I know, I know. <laughs> and I don't know. Sometimes they go right over your heads. You got you to gotta dig a little bit. Yeah, sometimes you have to dig. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so then the scene cuts to a bar where Will is speaking to the woman from the audience earlier. We found out her name is June. If you recall from episode four's reveal of Angela's family tree from the community center, she's Angela's grandmother. So Will and June, they obviously know each other. And we find out June is a journalist writing a piece on Will as the first black cadet, which she says is newsworthy according to the Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. So the Amsterdam is clearly a reference to the Amsterdam News which is a real-life Harlem-based newspaper that's geared towards the African-American community. Um, so another little real-world tie-in there. And, so um, does, that, does that still exist today? Yeah, it still exists today, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And June keeps giving him a hard time, jokingly calling him officer several times. And Will thinks it's because she thinks he's, quote-unquote, joined the enemy and that the police smother them under their shoes and now that he's joined them but like he thinks that she thinks he knows it's a publicity stunt just to help the police force's image right um but june says that it's because they gave him a gun and a stick and that's why she's concerned it's what he do with said gun and stick that worries her uh she says because you're an angry angry man william reeves and like smash cuts to several flashes of the Tulsa 21 massacre mm -hmm. and it's interesting to note that Angela's vision of Will's memories is in black and white but whenever Will flashes to black Wall Street or any of the trauma he suffered when he was a child it's in color right mm -hmm. it's like a really interesting distinction that the show makes so um, so is Angela seeing that that's the question I believe so so like I guess what I just said like that's kind of like a simplified version of what my theory is because what I got from this is that the color slash black and white dichotomy is that the black and white segments are the nostalgia-induced memories from the drug, right? And then the mm -hmm. color portions are like the epigenetic trauma that's encoded into Angela's DNA, so to mm. speak. Because later in the episode, when Lori and Cal are trying to snap her out of it, they're portrayed with like splotches of color signifying like there's something that's real, like anything that's in color is real. Um, so I don't know. That's just my interpretation of it. And but I think then that, I, I noticed the piano players a lot of times shown in color, right? Yeah. But the piano players also from the massacre, right? Cause that's Will's mom playing. The oh, piano. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his real memory. Yeah. Or part of the, the trauma you're talking right, about. Right. Okay. All right. Oh, and what's really interesting is also, like, it's not just he cuts to Tulsa 21, but there's, like, scenes that are happening in the background, right? Right, right. And then we, it's yeah, like we see... like little things intercut. Yeah, we uh, see, like, a KKK... Yeah, we see a KKK member kind of shoot down one of the, the residents of Tulsa. Uh, and I think it's the same scene that we kind of saw, you know, in that riot in the very first episode. So it's kind of interesting that they've cut these, these scenes in the background, which kind of mm -hmm. remind us what we already know. 
Right. So Will pushes back and he says that he's young, he's healthy, and with a job that he's always wanted. So like, why would he be angry, right? And mm-hmm. June reminds him of all the people that died right in front of him, including his parents, and the mm-hmm. fact that he desperately wants to let go of the past is the reason that he's so goddamn angry. And that's where we end that scene, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so and we move to the next scene where it's nighttime. He's walking along the street, and he stops at a newsstand. He quickly says a couple words to the newsstandee, and then he sees on one of the newspapers a headline that says, uh, Nazis March West, and then there's also the headline about the gathering at Madison Square Garden, which mm-hmm. was another actual true event in right. history. So, uh, again, another history lesson. I was kind of researching. I was like, oh, this actually happened. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and then he, he sees a man across the street light up uh, what is a, like a Molotov cocktail, right? And he throws it into this Jewish delicatessen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Will shouts out, stop in the name of the law. And it's something that you kind of hear in a lot of like uh, movies and TV. So uh, yeah, it's like, man, a, it's like a cop cliche. <laughs> yeah. And then the man kind of mocks him for saying that. And then we'll ask him his name. And the man says his name is Fred. Will says that he knows what he did, but the man is, you know, trying to play with him and saying like, well, I hear this deli has a rat problem and maybe the rats chewed through a wire and it started the fire. Maybe that's what you saw. And then Will puts this man under arrest and and the man says he seriously doubts that. So then the scene kind of moves. It's really cool, right? The scene also transitions in really unique ways where Mm -hmm. they were just kind of walking and then they're walking towards that desk clerk. Mm -hmm. Will says, you know, he's here to book this gentleman that burned down to delicatessen and the man says you know i think it's a case of mistaken identity and then see a couple white officers approach and i mean to be honest my mind went to like oh man will screwed at this moment Mm -hmm. he's gonna get berated for you know bringing in this white male but then kind of subverting my expectations the right at the moment the white officers kind of defend will right um yeah keyword at the moment right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, Fred uses a really racial slur, and one of the white officers is like, what did you just call him? You need to apologize to him. And mm-hmm. the man does, and then the white officer says, hey, we'll take it from here. And they're taking this white man to, to go get booked. And the desk clerk is like, whoa, wait, 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 uh, that's Reeves' suspect. And the man kind of throws up this hand gesture right onto his forehead, mm-hmm. um, which we later find out is probably the hand gesture to symbolize, you know, I'm a member of the Cyclops. Right, whatever this organization is, right? Because you know he basically creates like a O, yeah, and puts it on his forehead. And it's like an OK symbol, but like they put it on the forehead. Yeah, and that's that's interesting because the OK symbol has been co-opted by like the alt right in mm-hmm. the U.S., where it's like their kind of symbol now. So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Um, I feel like that's like a coincidence because they're trying to do a Cyclops eye. Yeah, now. it's interesting that there's a parallel there, and. I don't know if you knew this, but this guy, Fred, is supposed to be Fred Trump. Oh, what? Did you know that? No. Yeah, he's supposed to be Donald Trump's dad. And this is not a theory because this is so overt. Like, if you look it up, there's no way that this is a coincidence. Later on, Will is led to a warehouse called FT and Sons. Yeah. So, obviously, it's you could probably gather that it's Fred Trump and sons right oh. and if you're at all familiar with trump's family history you'll know that his father fred owned the first supermarket in queens which opened in 1933 and that was also on the corner of jamaica avenue in queens 
So this is clearly like an overt reference to Fred Trump. Because doesn't he bring down a, a deli on Jamaica Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, man. I, I didn't know that. Thank you for that. <laughs> that's a pretty cool piece of history. I know. That's pretty crazy. I, I read about that and I was like, whoa. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so and then uh, we, we move on and this really cool transition where Will kind of storms out the door. But then when he goes out the other end of the door, he's outside in broad daylight. And the door is swinging behind him, but you're still seeing inside the precinct. Right. It's kind of like pieces of a set that are all like jumbled together. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really, really interesting how they they kind of transition these scenes. And it's kind of a repeat of the last scene, right? He's at the same newsstand. Another interesting reference to Superman, right? Because the newsstand, he's uh, he's reading Action Comics number one, right? Which is the introduction of Superman. And, you know, he talks about a boy who gets put into a rocket ship right before his planet explodes. And, and then we flash to um, the, Tulsa Massacre, the yeah. Tulsa Massacre, you know, the scene where Will's dad is putting him in the back of that car right in that trunk. Mm-hmm. So and then while they're conversing, this man bumps into Will and we see that it's Fred. It's the same individual from last night. Yeah. And he's free. And then so Will goes back to the precinct and, and talks to the desk clerk and he's like, hey, what happened? Why is that guy free? And the desk clerk first is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, no, you know what I'm talking about. You you were there. You were standing at the same place you're standing right now. And he asked the man about the hand gesture that he saw that the white officers did. And the desk clerk was basically saying, just leave it alone, right? That hole that they're creating at the top of the head is going to be the same hole that you're going to end up in yours if you don't let this go. And he's basically trying to help Will out because he knows that these guys are trouble and that he shouldn't be asking these questions. Right. Right. Uh, I wanted to add, like, the Superman parallel is an Mm -hmm. interesting one because uh, I think we're all supposed to equate Will's escape with Kal-El's from Krypton, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But if you really think about it, June is an even better fit for that analogy, right? Mm -hmm. I guess we're jumping into another reel of the episode that comes later, but where we learn that June was the baby that Will picked up from the field in the opening scene, right? But she's the one who's wrapped up in the American flag, just like baby Kal-El was wrapped up in his cape, right? And she even becomes a reporter like Clark Kent. That's true. Um, So I'm not sure what the message is supposed to be here, but it's an interesting little tidbit that I think Mm -hmm. is like fun to point out. So... There's like this mixed origin that's like a parallel to Superman's origin story for, for the both of them. Yeah. Will walks outside and it's daylight, but then it kind of does this transition into nighttime. And this whole, this whole episode is like full of neat little transitions. I know the show has done a lot of these cool transitions, but I think the nature of these memories that Angela's experiencing, like really takes them to like another level. So it's like, it's yeah. all super seamless. He's walking down the street in its day, and then now it fades into the nighttime. Mm-hmm. And Will is walking home alone um, in his cities, right? He's out of his uh, yeah. police uniform. And uh, his police colleagues drive by and ask him to join them for a beer. Or first, they ask him for a ride home, but Will respectfully declines, right? He says that he enjoys walking and maybe another time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they seemingly leave him alone. And as they drive off, we see a really interesting mix of memories because hitched to the back of the police car, you can see it dragging the dead bodies we saw during the Tulsa massacre in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And these bodies are in color, right? So it goes back to like 
the mixing of these these different memories, right? Uh, I want to point out, like, there's a parallel here between Will Reeves and Hollis Mason, uh, the first Night Owl. And Hollis Mason's memoir, if you could call it that, Under the Hood, he relays the fact that he became a police officer in New York uh, in 1938. So that would make him the same cadet class as Will, uh, right? Because he became a cop in 1938. So I'm surprised we didn't get more of an overt cameo from Hollis Mason in this episode, other than like the the Minutemen later down the line in the episode, right? Yeah. Also, to like go even further, Mason also turned down invitations to go out with his police colleagues. But for him, it was because he was training to be like a costumed superhero. I'm just wondering now if like those were the same cops as the racist ones that come after Will in this scene, right? Mm. So it's a really interesting little uh, parallel with with the yeah. first Night Owl. And uh, so Will, he turns down an alley, but suddenly he's cut off by the cop car, who I assume they looped around to like ambush him. The white cops, they jump out of the car and say, another time isn't really going to work for us, and beat him really badly. And when Will wakes up, he's being dragged to a tree to be lynched. And just as he's about to die, they cut him down. And this is like another transition where you see uh, Will become Angela. And they tell him, you keep your black nose out of white folks' business, or else next time we won't cut you down. And I think a lot of shows are really cavalier about like hangings and lynching and stuff like that. Because I know, I don't know if you've ever watched like American Gods, Mm-mm. but they did like a lynching scene, and it just seemed a little disingenuous and not treating it with the gravity that it deserves. I think a lot of shows do this with with like hangings and lynchings, but. I think it's really well done with like a poignancy on this show, right? I mean, I, I, love, know... I love that most of the scene is like in his POV, right? Like you're seeing right, right. it through his eyes, which is, I think, even more effective. Right. Like Damon Lindelof knows how sensitive the tools he's playing with, how they are, right? So mm-hmm. I think he does a really good job of walking that tightrope. And I think he's done that this entire series, treating these aspects of race and racial identity and racism with the serious hand that it deserves. Uh, Just to go back to something you brought up, Hollis Mason, he was the first Night Owl. He wrote the book within the comic uh, under the hood, right? And that's actually where we get our title for this episode. Right. Because I think in Uh, one of his chapters, he calls Hooded Justice an extraordinary being. Right, right. Yeah. So that if people are wondering where we get this week's title, that's where we get it. We see a lot of Will walking down the street in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so Will is walking down the street, and this is right after his incident, right? He still has the noose around his neck. He still has the hood in his hand, and I'm assuming he's just trying to walk home. He hears this couple being assaulted, and then he looks down the alley, and he sees them. In this moment, he quickly decides what to do, because if you notice, he starts punching holes, like eye holes, into the hood. So he knows what he wants to do. So he's punching the eye holes in the hood and then he puts the hood over his head, you know, disguise who he is. And he basically gets into a brawl with these uh, assailants and and takes them out. And the couple actually thanks him. And I believe this is also from the Under the Hood book where Hollis mentions that one of the first sightings of Hooded Justice is him saving a couple from being assaulted. 
Yeah, so this show pulls from real history, but it's definitely pulling from Watchmen history, too. It's very respectful of, of the graphic novel. Um, so the scene moves on, and he arrives at June's apartment, uh, still with the noose around his neck uh, with the hood off. And he says, okay, I'm angry. And they kind of embrace, they hug, and then we see Will's face. And it, it's one of those scenes you're talking about, right? It, it pans around them, and then we see Angela. So then uh, we move into the next day where I guess Will wakes up on June's couch. And she says that he was in the paper, that they're calling him a hero. And then they kind of get into a conversation about why he put the mask back on. And he, he's kind of playing coy, says he doesn't know. But then I think she's smarter than she's letting on. She asks him to talk about the movie that he would always watch as a kid over and over again and this is the very same one that we see at the very first scene uh, of the whole series right this movie's called trust in the law right and we saw this and this is the the story with bass reeves who's chasing the white sheriff and he pulls him off of the horse and and the mob you know is out there so you should lynch him you should lynch him and he says there's going to be no mob justice here right this is basically kind of june's way of getting will to realize that this mask isn't really a bad thing right that this is maybe something you know if he's going to get justice he's going to need to use the mask dress up as a white citizen because it's only then that people will accept him as a hero still so even though he's wearing a hood even though people can't really see his face they need to still know that it's someone that they can trust. And I guess in the society, they only would trust a white person. So like I said before, when you take Watchmen outside of Damon Lindelof's context, hooded justice can easily be seen like as a superhero with this executioner motif, right? Um, but once you bring in like the show's racial themes, it's almost impossible to go back to that original perspective, right? Um, mm -hmm. So this is pretty much an example of like, minorities repurposing slurs and like derogatory insults to mean something else or like in other words taking back ownership of something meant to like demean and debase you right so like this is taking that to the nth degree we have a black man repurposing this racially charged iconography of like this hood and this noose and this rope and turning them into symbols he uses to fight crime mm -hmm. right i just thought that was interesting um where it's it's kind of like an elevated take on on how minorities take back ownership of slurs and things like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean what uh what I mean I what I found interesting is that in the Watchmen universe, he is the very first superhero, right? Or very first right caped crusader as you want to call it. And everyone thought he was white. The show within the show posits that he's white. But then to kind of recontextualize it, that history is now the very first superhero in this universe was black. And not only was he black, he was gay, right? It's so different than our own history, right? Where for decades, most superheroes in Marvel or DC were white males. So it's a really interesting kind of take and, 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 and message that he's trying to, I think Damon Lindelof is, is trying to get across with with making Will hooded justice. And I think it goes into how the American public whitewashes its influences, mm -hmm. you know, repurposing characters in different light where they used to be like one ethnicity and now they're something else entirely. Like, perfect example, Bass Reeves, right? 
who's actually on the show as an influence for Will, right? And he was a black man, a real black sheriff. And he was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. So again, this is a prime example of whitewashing culture, right? Yeah. Definitely for sure. You you have a point there. Yeah, yeah. So should we move on to the next scene? This is the start of Will's superhero stint as Hooded Justice, right? He's pushed up on this rooftop and his voiceover states that he's going to start with that bastard Fred, the one that got away earlier at the police station, right? And he correctly assumes it has something to do with what Lieutenant Battle told him, which was beware the Cyclops, right? So he sees a gathering of people entering Fred's market in Queens, and he follows them into the back of the store. And when he opens the door, they're already all changed into clan robes. Yeah, that's quick. Yeah, quick change. <laughs> quick change KKK members, I yeah. guess. Maybe they, they moonlight as a magic act or something. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> and there's this great fight scene where Will takes down all the guys in the back of the store. And the way it's shot is like so well done and realistic. I think a lot of action films and shows when it has like a fight scene where someone is outnumbered he's just fighting one guy at a time and the oh, other yeah. guys are just standing in the background kind of waiting their turn to get their asses kicked but in this there's like none of that right it really shows how strong and formidable will is as a fighter he's dismantling and disabling them all at the same time and he takes them all down and he sees a map that's presumably a list of targets for some sort of attack he doesn't know what it is and the map has an eye logo in the corner so which we learn later on is the icon for Cyclops, which is a clan organization. And he also picks up a book called uh, Mesmerism for the Masses. So it's kind of like a guide to a sort of mind control, which was by the, the map of targets, right? So last episode, when Looking Glass or uh, Wade, he's in that abandoned mall, there's graffiti on the wall, which has this eye icon. Oh, on the wall, if you didn't notice. Yeah. So maybe Cyclops has lived on to the modern day too. And they've taken root in like the seventh cavalry or something. So who knows? Um, Hail Cyclops. Yeah. Yeah. Hail Cyclops. <laughs> I guess. Um, and so, like, one of the guys that Will took down, he gets up and he tackles Will through the door to the front of the store where Fred is with a bunch of other. Uh, clan members, I guess, and maybe even a couple of shoppers. He asks Will, he's like, what the fuck are you supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Right? Before he pulls out a shotgun and starts firing at him. And Will jumps out the window and there's this neat little slow motion freeze frame. And it's interesting because this is the exact opposite of how this scene scene plays out in American Mm -hmm. uh, hero story, right? Mm -hmm. He's jumping out the window instead of jumping in. He's not stopping a robbery. It's literally white supremacists that are after him within the store. Right? Yeah. So again, it shows that American Hero Story is really taking liberties with real history here. Well, but it's also know? mentioned in Hollis Mason's book. One of his first crimes is stopping a supermarket incident. So like... Right. So it's not just American Hero Story. That's... Incorrect. That's incorrect right um and i think a lot of it has to do with that everyone thinks that he's white right Mm -hmm. um so like he's jumping through the glass and there's a slow motion freeze frame 
it's kind of like Matrix-esque, right? Mm-hmm. It, it pans around him. There's all this broken glass around him. Um, and it's because Lori and Cal, you know, Angela's husband, they're interrupting the memory and trying to get her to come to her senses. And this is where you see Lori and Cal, they come in and you see their faces and the color kind of like enters and then leaves uh, their faces, you know? So it's like Angela's stuck in between like what's Will's memories and what's her real world, you know? Mm -hmm. So Lori says that the dose of nostalgia she took was lethal and that she's in a coma and that they just gave her a shot of adrenaline to try and wake her up. And then Cal tries to remind her of her life in 2019 and her three children, but it doesn't really work, right? And it transitions back to Will's life with June. This is another fun little transition because Cal's like, oh, the president is, and he's about to say Robert Redford, but then it cuts straight to June saying Roosevelt mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. in another memory. Yeah. So Actually, uh, there, there are it. a couple things I wanted to point out. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first thing I, I wanted to point out is that when the man tackles him from behind and then they kind of have a tussle and then they end up in the supermarket, the man actually lands on a bed of lettuce. Did you notice that? Right, yeah. right. So that was a little interesting kind of Easter egg. Yeah. Um, I don't think it really means anything. It's just a nice little act. Yeah, a lettuce, lettuce truck, thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then yeah. the interesting thing is that when he jumps to the glass and then we kind of get into the scene when it, it's Lori. Um, talking to Angela, like you can clearly tell it's Angela under the hood, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting. Where, it... right, right, it's Angela's eyes mm-hmm. when it's freeze framed. Yeah, and then on, uh, Will. Yeah, and, and then the one interesting thing I think I got from this is that she says that she's still in the precinct, right? Basically, knowing yeah. what we know later, it's interesting to know that at this point she's still in the precinct, right? She hasn't been moved. Mm-hmm. And I actually wanted to bring this up earlier, right? In in the very first scene, she says, like, you have to sign this consent form for us to go pump your stomach. Mm -hmm. I would feel like if someone took a lethal dose of drugs. You would really have the mental capacity to be able to sign a consent form, right? I don't know. Or they would just take her to the hospital and pump her. Like, I don't know if that's just something in this world where you can't do anything without asking someone's permission. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. That seemed a little weird yeah. to me that they needed to yeah. ask for consent to save her life, yeah. right? It's, it's kind of funny. Okay, but moving on. So, yeah, you're right. There was that really kind of cool transition <laughs> where, you know, Cal is saying this script, right? And he says the president mm-hmm. is... And then, yeah, June says, Roosevelt, you really think that he's going to save us? And I guess right. they're talking around the dinner table and they hear a knock at the door. And when they open the door, it's Nelson Gardner, right? Who we later learn mm-hmm. is Captain Metropolis. He introduces himself not as Captain Metropolis, but more as an associate of Captain Metropolis, right? Mm-hmm. And he's there on behalf of Captain Metropolis to try to recruit Hooded Justice to the Minutemen. He says that um, being a costume adventurer is this new phenomenon, right? Right. (laughs) You know, he thinks that it would really legitimize the team if if someone like Hooded Justice, basically the man who inspired their team, inspired these other costume adventurers to do this, um, should be part of this team, right? And Mm -hmm. and Garner says that, you know, he cross-referenced all of Hooded Justice activities with um, police in the area, and Will kind of cuts him off. It's like, well, are you inferring that, you know, uh, Hooded Justice is a cop? And then Gardner's like, no, mm-hmm. he thinks that he's being fed information 
from a cop and then he thinks will is that cop and right. I, I think not moving too far ahead like in the next scene you know will there you know we find out they're in bed and, and we'll ask um well when did you know and garnish is like oh when i first met you but i think this scene is meant to kind of say that i don't think gardner knew right away right it, it was mm-hmm. something that i think even him in his prejudice probably never would have thought that will could have been hooded justice right yeah so uh moving on june is also very smart right and she's an investigator right she writes for a paper and she asks like is is metropolis blonde and about your height basically implying right. that she knows that oh you're captain metropolis Mm-hmm. Right, and and Will then asks, you know, do you know what Cyclops means? And he kind of says that it's a criminal underground group, definitely worth investigating by the Minutemen. And we find out later that you know he's basically lying through his teeth for this, right? Right. And, and he says that Hooded Justice shouldn't be fighting alone; he should be fighting with others and finding you know true companionship. And he takes a card out of his jacket pocket and he slides it over to Will and. It kind of does that cliche thing where like their fingers kind of brush each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like, um, okay. <laughs> and I think June yeah. also sees it too. So, and, and June being as smart as she is, I, I don't know if she suspects anything, but then Gardner leaves <laughs> and then June just looks over to Will and says, no, it mm-hmm. then straight cuts into the next scene. <laughs> right. And then the no turns into <laughs> An ecstatic yes, right? Yes. Um, it's here that it's revealed that there's at least some truth to the hooded justice myth because the scene has Will and Nelson or Captain Metropolis are having sex, right? So Will is either gay or bisexual, and Will asks Nelson when he knew he was hooded justice, like you said, and Nelson says that even though he thought he was a white man at first. Uh, when he met Will at his apartment, he instantly knew, which is what you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. He asked Will if he's good for joining the Minutemen, but Will has reservations, especially since he's told that he has to maintain this white cover identity under the mask, right? Mm-hmm. And while they're talking about this, Nelson then, he grabs a mask in an attempt to try something new mm-hmm. <laughs> in bed, which instantly kind of reminded me of of Petey and Laurie in mm-hmm. episode three. Mm-hmm. So this scene is like, it's a parallel between like Will in bed with Nelson and then it cuts to Will in bed with June. Mm-hmm. And he tells her that he needs the Minutemen in order to take down Cyclops. And so like at this point, he's like fully invested in taking down this ring of white supremacists, right? But June says that she's his team, right? And that he doesn't need the Minutemen. She says, <laughs> Captain Blonde, and the masquerade squad, they don't care about you. They only care about what you can do for them and like their public image, right? And this is where Will recounts how he met June. And this is where it's revealed that June was the baby in the first episode. And it's, the way it's shot, it's really interesting because like there's a an open window behind uh, Will and June when they're in bed. Mm-hmm. But in that window, it's like the scene playing out from the first episode yep. where Will finds june in the field right and this makes this relationship a little odd don't you think yeah. it makes them more like siblings than lovers than like husband and wife yeah. right it just feels a little yeah. weird i don't know if you've ever watched like the cw version of the flash yes, um, 
<laughs> where Barry Allen falls in love with like his adoptive it's sister. Just, basically, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. This is kind of reminiscent of that, right? To be fair, he but loved her know. before they became brother and sister. That's oh god. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I guess we could give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Because we don't know their upbringing, mm-hmm. right? They could have not been brought up together. I mean, who knows? Yeah. And at the end of the scene, she does reveal that she's pregnant, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then we kind of move into a scene where Will is putting on his makeup. At his little makeup stand, he has some kind of articles posted up. And he pulls them off of the mirror. And then he puts them into this file, right? And at the f- front of the file is this Cyclops symbol. So this is kind of his case file, right? For this mm-hmm. Cyclops organization. And then we move right. into a Hooded Justice I guess being presented at a press conference, right? Because, you know, he is officially signed on to be part of the Minutemen. And Captain Metropolis says, you know, the team would not be anything without the man who started it all. And the mm-hmm. news reporter says, there are rumors that Huda Justice has superhuman strength. You know, we can understand why people might guess this because this guy's taken out three or four guys at a time. Right. As we see throughout the, uh, the episode. And then he also asks, what crime is he going to target? And Will responds, mm-hmm. there is a vast and insidious conspiracy in the city. And if we remember, this is something he said a couple times throughout the series. And we first heard it in, I think, uh, episode two, when he kind of mm-hmm. explains what he did to Judd, to Angela. But quickly, Captain Metropolis takes the spotlight away from him and, and says that, you know, they're going to go after the villain Moloch. Mm-hmm. And then before, you know, everyone goes away, he also pulls away this advertisement. And this is the same advertisement, right? The poster that we've seen. for Yeah, with the dollar bill. The dollar bill. Um, and, and it, you know. It's like the racist ad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says, like, crooks don't stand a chance. And he has a black man in custody. It's like, so. it's like a, yeah, it's like a caricature yeah. of a black man yeah. in, in custody. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's pretty racist. <laughs> And then we see Will back at his table and he's removing his makeup. And this is where we kind of get this really Mm -hmm. cool time lapse, right? She mentioned that she's pregnant and we see her. She's typing and then she's pregnant and then she's at the kitchen and then the boy's kind of running around. So it's this time lapse of their son growing up. Yeah. So it's like many, many years. Yeah. Because uh, by the end of it, he looks like he's maybe what, like six years old, maybe five or six years old. Yeah. And then we still see that he's holding that folder, right, with the Cyclops mm-hmm. eye in front of it, basically implying that even after all these years, he has not brought down Cyclops. Cyclops, right? right. So I think this entire episode, these memories span like between nine and 10 years. Because if, if you go into the later scene at the theater, it's, uh, it's 1947. Mm-hmm. So. It's, it's like nine or 10 years because at the start, it's 1938, right? Yeah. Where the cadet graduation is. I want to talk about like in the comics and in the world of like American hero story, the theory is that Hoodie Justice was a German strongman yeah. by the name of Rolf Miller, mm-hmm. right? Which I mentioned earlier, which is obviously false. And I thought it was interesting that uh, he's also rumored to be like a Nazi sympathizer mm-hmm. um, because... I have a theory about that. Okay. So my own theory is that this rumor came to be because of the World War I German propaganda that Will 
carries with him at all times. You know, like the leaflet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was dropped on his father when yeah, he was yeah, in the yeah. army. He has the note. It says, watch yeah. out for this boy, right? So my theory is that someone, maybe in the Minutemen, saw that. Or like someone who was accessed, they found it and they assumed he was ah. a German and started circulating the rumor that he was like a Nazi, right? So I think that makes a lot of sense. That could, that um, definitely could be true. <laughs> right. And like he has like the white makeup that makes him seem. Like, he's Caucasian. I thought that's a neat parallel with Angela, too, because Angela does the dark Mm -hmm. mask, right? Um, When she's suiting up as Sister Knight. That's that's also another neat little parallel there. Yeah. Yeah. Should we get to the big big incident of this episode? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Will, I thought it was interesting. He's under his police guys, right? He's still a police officer, right? Yeah. And he's called to an incident at a theater and it's revealed that a crowd of african-americans have turned on each other in a movie theater turning it into a bloodbath a bunch of bloodied survivors are being hauled away in handcuffs and will enters the theater and he speaks to a woman named lorna who's like a survivor of the incident and lorna says that there was a flicker and then a voice that said that she had to hurt people so this is where we find out that it's 1947, right? It's nine years after he became a cop because on the marquee on the theater, it says it's playing The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I don't know if you remember. This was a... So this, I, I learned in this yeah. in this episode that was not... I guess that was a remake? Yeah, I, no I didn't idea. know either. But, <laughs> so it's a remake and that movie came out in 1947. Ah, okay. So clearly this is nine years later. Mm-hmm. And then Will sees a man carrying a projector outside and he correctly deduces that Cyclops has been using this mesmerism to carry out mind control attacks on the black populace, turning them on each other mm-hmm. in like public places, right? This is what they were planning. This is what their attacks entail, right? And he immediately calls Captain Metropolis from a phone booth, but he's dismissed. And Nelson says that this isn't really a Minuteman problem. So, like, this plays into the graphic novel and, like, mm-hmm. the supplemental material, which reveals that Nelson Gardner wasn't really a progressive at all. In fact, he was quite reactionary because uh, later on, he tries to reconstitute Minutemen again with, you know, Dan Driver, Laurie, Dr. Manhattan, and, yes. and the comedian, right? And it states that the only thing he was really interested in stopping were the evils that he proposed, right? which were like promiscuity, drugs, campus subversion, and anti-war demonstrations, and black unrest, you know? Mm -hmm. So he's not really like a progressive guy. So it makes me think like his affair with uh, Hooded Justice is more like a a fetish than like actual being in love with Will, right? But then, I mean, um, there is the PDPD article, right, from this week that... Right. So, yeah, let's go into that, right? Yeah. So, in the PDPD file, it's actually revealed that, in the end, he did leave everything to Will in his <laughs> will, yeah. right? Which is interesting. I, I mean, maybe in, like, his older age, he saw the error of his way. Yeah, so, like, he apologized. I mean, who knows? Him. Right, right. So... That could be what it is. And I think it's also interesting that if he's proposing all these evils that the Minutemen are fighting, like, what else are they staging? Are they just 
costumed like performers then like Moloch the mystic is he really a villain or is he just some paid actor or something that like mm-hmm. they're staging to take down right because he's he's kind of like this mustache twirling magician guy right but like when will brings him like the real problem of white supremacists and cyclops and them doing all this fucked up shit to have the black populace turn on each other nelson doesn't want anything to do with that yeah right? he says it's, it's like, not a minimum problem yeah it's not a minimum problem so i thought it was it was interesting that that's what his reaction was you know uh this, this yeah. the scene kind of moves on when you know captain metropolis basically tells him that you know this is not their problem this is basically his problem and you know, Will is angry and he kind of slams the phone onto the payphone and gets oh, right, it right. gets the attention of and then we see him again, Fred, right? And he's like Fred Trump. Yeah, Fred, Fred Trump. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> um they kind of have a little bit of a chat and he says, like, hey, I know all the cops that walk this beat, and you know, you're not one of them. Because this is after the incident, so he's still in his yeah, his uniform. Police uniform, right, right. And um he says, Oh, what do you want? And he's like, Oh, I know what you want. You want free steaks. So this is the point we realize he does not recognize him at all, right? Right. And he asks, well, like, you know, come along, you know, come to my warehouse. And we'll ask, like, oh, is this your warehouse? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is my warehouse. And and then he kind of starts saying something about, like, oh, you know, all of you guys look alike. And then he gets shot right in the head. Yeah, it's his breaking point, yeah. right? Yeah, and it moves into the next scene where we follow him into the warehouse and then we see a bunch of men. It would look like workers, but also police officers, right? I believe there was one man in an actual yeah. uniform. Yeah. And they're packing up these projectors, mm-hmm. right? And he sees all of them in boxes. And at this point, he's already realized that this is their plan, right? He's going to ship these off. And this this goes back to that map. This goes back to the book about the mesmerism. Mm-hmm. And this is their plan, right? And he walks into another room and he sees a man. He's basically recording a subliminal message and this is the message that the woman heard right and he's basically saying like hurt other african americans but don't hurt any white people hurt each other and then uh, once you're done hurting others hurt yourself i i couldn't tell is this the same white officer from the beginning of the episode I don't know. All white people look like, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. It could be. I thought it was, I, but uh, I couldn't quite tell. So I think he has like a, a similar facial yeah, structure. Yeah. Like hairstyle, too. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's hard to tell. So Will goes on a rampage and he, you know, all the people that he sees packing up uh, all the projectors, he, he shoots them dead. All yeah, of them yeah, dead. Yeah. He goes on a rampage. Yeah, he goes on a rampage. Sure. And then he goes into this room and he tries to shoot this guy in the head, but he's run out of bullets. Yeah, but he's out of bullets. He's out of bullets. So he's like, oh, what yeah. am I going to do? So he's recording. So he's a cord. So he grabs a cord and strangles the guy to death. And then once that guy's dead, he stacks up all the bodies. And we see Fred's body there, too, with the bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. He burns them alive, right? Basically burning them alive, but also probably burning down this warehouse and all the projectors. There's this kind of like uh, cool cut where he sees the fire and it cuts back to, you know, when he was a little boy and he sees the fire in the background of, of Tulsa 21. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't destroy all the projectors. He takes one with him, right? Right. And I think that's an important thing to remember. I think so, too. Yeah. We'll get into the theories later. He burns that warehouse to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And he takes that projector home. And when he comes home, his son, his name is Marcus. I believe. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, we learned that from the, the tree, right? I think. Right. So Marcus is Angela's dad. Yeah. If 
we want to put two and two together, right? <laughs> um, but we don't really know that much about him. Angela says that both her parents died, right? But we don't know what really happened. Anyway, but when Will comes home, he sees his young son, Marcus. He's painting his face with the white makeup and wearing the hooded justice outfit, right? Mm-hmm. And his anger really comes out. And, like, he really, like, grabs his son. He doesn't want his son to have this life, right? Oh, yeah. uh, like, this burden that he doesn't want his son to have, right? And this heated reaction leads June to end their relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And June takes Marcus and, and she leaves. And one of the last things she says to him is that, I thought it would help you get rid of this thing you have. You know, she she mentions his anger, really his whole life as hooded justice and a vigilante. And she says, but it didn't get rid of it. It just fed it. And she decides to take their son back to Tulsa without him, mm-hmm. right? Now we're back in the present. And now we show what finally happened between Will and Judd Crawford at the end of the first episode, right? And now we know that Will used the mesmerism technology to make Judd hang himself. And I thought it was interesting because it doesn't exactly paint Will in the most sympathetic light here, even though Judd did have a robe in his closet, right? But Will's not listening to any reason whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. Even though Judd's saying, like, you don't know me at all. You don't know what's going on or whatever. But Will doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. I know that you have clan robes in your closet. That's all That's all it takes for me to, like, condemn you, mm-hmm. right? So he uses this uh, mesmerism technology. It's like a flashing strobe light. I feel like this episode really should have had, like, an epilepsy <laughs> warning because this strobing light was pretty intense, I think. It, it does. Um, it does have a warning. Oh, did it? Yeah. At the beginning of the episode, it, it says, like, is strobing lights in this episode. And Oh, I didn't see that. Oh. I watched it on the HBO go app so maybe so did i i'm sure it would would have (laughs) oh okay maybe i don't know i don't know (laughs) that's strange because i saw i definitely saw it interesting so i guess i guess i missed it um and um then um it shows that judd hangs himself through this mesmerism technology right Mm -hmm. and then we finally merge back into angela's real world right and then it's like flickering images you got like Bass Reeves, Will's mom, and then I'm assuming this it's an older June? Yeah, I, I didn't know exactly right? who that was, but I, that's my guess. I'm assuming that's who it was. You got pictures of, like, the Minutemen. And then Angela wakes up, right? And she's at True Industries. And she has, like, a completely new perspective, right? About who Will is, what he's been through, and an even more clear understanding of this trauma that's been passed down from one generation to another. Mm -hmm. The episode just ends with Lady True, and she's like, oh, hi there, you know? Uh, And then it cuts to black. Yeah. Really abrupt way to end the episode. (laughs) So one thing to mention we do learn in this scene is that the robes are not Judd's, they're his granddad's. Right. Right. He could be innocent. Maybe he is not a 7K member. Maybe he's not a clan member. Maybe it is just a memorabilia of his granddad's. I don't know why he keeps it locked up in a really nice right. in a really nice hidden closet. 
but he also right. I do think that it's unlikely though, right? Because yeah. of what Senator Keene. Well, he also says like I'm here to help you people. <laughs> when you hear someone say yeah, something like that, it's just like no, whatever you say, nope. you people. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's still not the right thing to say. <laughs> right. And then I mentioned this earlier, right? It was an interesting fact that Lori says you are still in the precinct doing that little freeze frame when she, he jumps out the window. Uh-huh. And, but now she's at, I'm um, assuming somewhere in true industries, right? She's being treated by lady true. So like what happened in between that, you know, we saw at the beginning of the episode, you need consent for you to be able to pump your stomach. And the last person you would think Lori would trust would be lady, would be true, lady right? true. But then at the end of the episode, she's with lady true. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to see if they fill in those gaps next week. Yeah. Maybe they use the flying drone to fly yeah, her to Like the, maybe picked up, tower, picked, up, yeah, picked up her truck in the middle of, on the yeah. way to the hospital. I don't know. It's also weird that you would think Cal would be able to give consent. No, I don't know. Like your your husband. Yeah. You would think that he <laughs> would have like spousal. Uh, right. Yeah. But uh, who knows? Yeah. You know, the idea of the argument that Will and June have about the mask, right? About his anger uh, really reminded right. me of what Lori says, right? To Angela in the car a couple episodes ago, or like in episode four. Right. Or about, you know, it hides the yeah, pain. we wear the mask to hide our pain. And if anyone, mm-hmm. Will has maybe some of the worst pain of all, right? Because he saw his whole town, his, his parents, and everybody he knows, you know, murdered and, and killed. So, yeah, I think that statement still rings true um yeah do you want to talk a little bit about the pdpedia articles yes. before we wrap up yes yes um so i think the most interesting one this week was the article on lady true okay where it's like kind of an expose mm-hmm. on lady true it's called lady true fact or fiction and it's the clipping from the talk of tulsa right um so it's talking about who lady true is the mysteries behind her. And it's kind of like a tabloid type article, right? It's like peppered with little headlines. It's like, oh, Lady True's mother was a loony parenting guru or whatever. Funny little headlines like that, right? But the thing that jumped out to me the most was in parallel to her building the Millennium Clock, she gifted almost everyone brand new state-of-the-art HD TVs. Did you catch that? Did you read this? Uh, okay, so uh, one thing I did not mention during the the scene where we talk about the theater, you've seen Kingsman, right? Yeah. Like, that's the vibes I got from that scene. And this this yeah. only makes it, like, even more apparent that, yeah, she's trying to set up this town for something. Right. Yeah. And it's using like the mesmerism technology. And I think you were right when you were talking about your theory where uh, Will and Lady True are in cahoots building this kind of empathy bomb where it's having everyone experience the trauma of A, Will's experiences with the Tulsa massacre and all the racism that he's experienced. Mm-hmm. And B, Lady True's experience in Vietnam, where America basically ransacked her entire country 
and had Dr. Manhattan come in and like pretty much win the war single-handedly yeah. by massacring the Vietnamese people, right? So I think this empathy bomb idea is a, this theory is a good one, right? Yeah. Like this millennium clock in concordance with like this HDTV giveaway, they're going to use it to implant all these memories and this epigenetic trauma in like the entire population so could the millennium clock be almost like a giant satellite almost like yeah, yeah or like a like antenna, antenna that amplifies yeah. the signal or something who knows but i'm like 95 percent in on this theory <laughs> <laughs> so uh one, um, one interesting thing i got from that pdp article is that we learned that lady chu's mother's name was beyond right Right, which is the same, same as, her, as her, daughter. her daughter. And then we saw in that episode with her daughter is that she's what we felt like she was experiencing some memories. So right. could it have been, I mean, it's maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe it's not her mother's memories she's experiencing, but her grandmother's memories she's experiencing, right? Right, yeah. right. When she talks about, yeah. you know, having to walk and, 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 you know, still feeling that pain. And another interesting little headline is, item lady true is in love with dr manhattan <laughs> which i thought it was funny because the article talks about lady true's like obsession with dr manhattan she has like these manhattan booths where mm -hmm. people can communicate with dr manhattan she has uh the satellite that observes dr manhattan on mars but i think this obsession isn't a love obsession it's a hate obsession right i think that's where the article has it wrong where lady true clearly has it in for Dr. Manhattan because of the atrocities that he committed in Vietnam, right? I thought that was another interesting little headline. Yeah. Yeah. So the PDPD article I found kind of interesting was the, like, usually PD is the one who kind of writes these official, right. official like, uh, FBI memorandums. But this time around, it was uh, Agent Lori Blake who wrote one. And she kind of starts off by saying, like, you guys thought I didn't read these, but I do. <laughs> yeah, she, she, you instantly know that it's Blake writing it because it's got a ton of little f bombs. Yeah, in there. it's funny because um, when you when I was reading it, I could hear kind of Jean Smart's voice and the kind of her inflections in her in the way she speaks. So it's kind of interesting to hear her. That's a sign of a great character, yeah. right? When you read something and you hear their voice, you know. Yeah. But one interesting thing that I found in this memorandum was that she says that. She sent Petey to bring in Looking Glass. Did mm -hmm. you catch that? Yeah, so I saw that. You know, we talked last week about, oh, is he really dead? Like, you know, he's basically mm -hmm. being attacked by four 7K members with, like, shotguns and automatics. Like, how is he going to mm -hmm. get out of this? I wouldn't be surprised if the one who saves him is Petey. Yeah, Lube Man to the rescue. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Yes. We don't know if he's actually yes. losing. It's going to be like a Home Alone incident where like one 7K member tries to walk into the house and he like slips down some stairs because there's lube, <laughs> there's lube on the floor. Some Home Alone shit. <laughs> yep, yep. That was really interesting. And then the other interesting I, I think I found about this memorandum was that she basically says, you know, it's, it's another incidence of like thermodynamic miracle when, you know, it's right. Angela's grandfather who's the man who assaulted her dad trying to rape her mom right? right it's this giant coincidence between all four of them right yeah. and i thought this was interesting like going back to looking glass and his 
unknown fate. This is like a very signature Lindelof thing to do where he like really perfected this on leftovers where he ends an episode on this like huge cliffhanger and he doesn't answer it until two episodes later. So mm. he sandwiches like another episode in between, which tells a completely different story. But the thing is you start off, you're like mad, right? You're like, why are they not telling us what happened to looking glass or whatever? But then like what he puts in between is so great that you don't even care, right? I mean, like, you still care, but, like, you're not upset that you got this episode in between. And he did this all the time on The Leftovers. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was funny because he did this here, too. And this episode I thought was phenomenal. And Yeah, I, I, mean, feel like... I didn't feel like I missed anything. Like, I, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay yeah. skipping out on finding out what happens to Looking Glass because we got this yeah. pretty, pretty great episode. And the last PDPedia article is another memorandum this one is written by agent dale pd and we mentioned this earlier it's basically talks a little bit about gardner and his will you know leaving right. leaving basically his estate all to will but the interesting fact is that we find out how he died, he died <laughs> right it says like gardner lost control of the car and crashed into a barrier at a high rate of speed he's ejected through the front windshield and he was decapitated like geez yeah <laughs> and that says in a bizarre you know, footnote his head was never, was never found. found yeah so it's like i don't know if that's a point or something but yeah i don't know if that'll come back around or not yeah and then it goes into the actual will with you know again we talked about he does profess to be a little bit more apologetic about maybe he should have listened to will and he was a little naive back then so yeah uh, another set of great uh, pdpd articles so one last thing I wanted to bring up. So there is a new episode of the official Watchmen podcast. Yes, I listened to it. Today. I listened to it today also. And the one thing I love that he mentions is that, and this is something I think we've mentioned already, is that these PDPD articles are very much, I guess, the same thing that the comic does, right? I mentioned this already. At the end of each chapter of the comic, they have these little uh, ancillary pieces that go along and fill in the world. And basically, Damon Lindoff said that's exactly what he's trying to do with these PDPD articles, right? That he's created this extra bit of information that will help fill in this world, but basically implying that it's not necessary. But if you want to go in and learn more about um, the world of Watchmen, that he's provided that avenue for you. Was there anything else that you found interesting from that that podcast? Or Not particularly. I think I don't want to knock on the official podcast or anything, but I think that since it's only like 45 minutes long and it's covering three episodes at a time, mm -hmm. they do a lot of like high level stuff. Yeah. You know? It's more just, just, um, just like overall discussion. And, and I think we're a little more granular mm -hmm. than that. Um, but I think if you listen to both of them together, our podcast and the official podcast, it's a nice little synergy there that, yeah. that gives you like the complete picture of Watchmen. Mm -hmm. You know, we we talked about it last week. We didn't know who the masked game warden was. Yeah, they confirmed that it was another Mr. It was Phillips. another Mr. Phillips. That's right. Correct. So yeah. my, my guess is that they, they talked a little bit about it, right? That every time he forms these new Crookshanks and new Mr. Phillips, like they they have to develop, right? My mm. guess is that this the game warden is like the longest living Mr. Phillips there's been. 
that definitely makes sense. And he's like a person. He has yeah. the most autonomy. Yeah, right? and then he's um, the most. He's not under Adrian Veidt's thumb. Yeah, that that would be right? my guess um, is that he's the longest living yeah. Mr. Phillips has been so far. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And then I love at the end of the episode, the host, I don't remember his name, was kind of shooting off things. And Damon's like, that'll be answered in episode seven. That'll be answered in the last episode. So I, I don't exactly yeah. remember yeah. what they were talking about. If you, But if you're interested, definitely listen to the episode. It's, it, Damon Lindelof is a funny I, guy, too. So Yeah, I think they were talking about the Millennium Clock. Yeah, he's like, that'll be answered in yeah. the last episode. He realizes with his history of like loss and leftovers, he's like, I know we will answer questions. We'll try our best yeah. to answer as many questions as we, as we, you know. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty self-effacing guy, yeah. so uh, I, I definitely appreciate that about a creator, yeah. you know. But he still also admits, like, you know, not all the questions are going to be answered, so also be prepared for that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will bring us to the end of this week's episode, right, Jeff? Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, people can find me at strangeharbors.com. It is my blog where I write about movies, TV, comic books, popular culture. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Strange Harbors. And uh, people can find me at The Wrong Day. Day is spelled D-A-Y-I-K. And that is for both Instagram and Twitter. And I also host another podcast called The Film Trailers Podcast, uh, where we talk about film and film trailers. Uh, But you can find this podcast on all your major platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And uh, what would really help us is, you know, if you were to go to iTunes or uh, any of the other podcast platforms and give us a star rating, give us a high rating, and then also subscribe to our uh, podcast. It helps to get our podcast out to more people and helps us to grow our audience. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please go ahead and email us at who watches the podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we've been getting a lot of emails from. Leah, I think. Listeners. Yeah, listener. Yeah. We've been getting a lot from Leah, and she's had some very insightful things. She actually, you know, emailed us a couple episodes ago and said, like, what if uh, Will is a hooded justice? She should be very proud that she uh, guessed that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, sure. I think uh, that will bring us to the end of the episode. So uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, see you guys next week.